People expect you to fail in your 20s. So why not live up to their expectation? But you can only fail if you try. So my advice to 20-year-olds, man, is do it. Now is when you think that you, that you want to try that thing, do it. If you've got the courage and the stupidity to do it, do it. Now is the time, not later. You're listening to the Talking 20 Podcast. This podcast is for you if you're in your 20s and you're thinking, what the hell am I doing? We've all been there and we want to talk about it. We're your hosts, Bridget O'Rourke and Mary Margaret Courtney, and we sit down with fellow millennials to chat about their journey and hear what they've learned along the way. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Talking 20. So we know this podcast has been targeted towards millennials, but everyone from Gen Z and before has experience in their 20s, and we've been surprised by how much love and support we've had from other generations other than millennials, especially older generations. And whenever we talk about our podcast to our parents and their friends, there's always a conversation to be had. We find that they're so interested in learning about millennials and comparing and contrasting the experience of their 20s to the experience of our 20s. So we thought that we would explore this more, and today we're going to talk to Mary Margaret's favorite high school teacher and now friend, Frank Adriano. Frank has some great insight into a whole lot of things. He's a high school teacher, a parent, a band manager, a musician. I think you teach martial arts or something like that. You've done it all. He's done it all. Um, And Mary's told me that his authentic teaching style has undoubtedly changed the lives of many students, including herself, and his mentorship doesn't stop there. As a working musician, Frank brings young adults into the industry, introduces them to paid gigs, helps them gain experience, explore new music, and so much more. And just from the short time I've been talking to him before uh, this episode, I can tell that he lifts everyone up around him, and you can't help but smile when you speak to this energetic fun, smart, and goofy man. Welcome to the show, Frank. Hey, I got to meet this cat you're talking about. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the intro bridge. Um, fun that you've already picked up on the smart, energetic, and goofiness. Um, yeah. As someone who's had the privilege of being taught by you and knowing you as a mentor and a teacher, I want to use this platform to say thank you. Uh, we'll talk so much about all this during our episode, but my experience as a student, when I went into high school, you know, you go in as a kid and you're quickly learning how to be an adult in a weird way. And, uh, not a lot of teachers necessarily treat you that way. And, uh, talking to my mom in reflection of my high school years in preparation for this episode, we were talking about your ability to talk to young people like adults and get them thinking like adults, treating them like adults. And it's so important because as young as they are and they still may not be ready for all the adult things, for me, it had me, it it led me into a journey of using my own mind, fighting for myself, getting to know myself sucking it up because the world kind of sucks sometimes. And it was teachers like you that made my parents feel great about me going off to school and learning and exploring. So thank you. Well, that's really beautiful of you to say, and I thank you. And and I'm glad you guys have the ability to, uh, to, to fix this in post because I am blushing um, (laughs) by all the beautiful words that are being said to you. But let me, can I, can I let you in on a little secret, Mary? Sure. Um, I, have a handful of students that I need to thank 
because those students allowed these teachers who walked in as adults to remember that that kid inside and and I think that's that's the part that coalesces uh, that successful relationship um, perhaps the the adultness that we bring is equal to the uh, childlike innocence and beauty that you guys bring to me. And in those years, I felt like a kid, a lot older, um, mm. not much wiser, but it gave me that, that, that joy that you guys had too, without the grumpiness that, that came later. So yeah, we have a lot to thank to be thankful for. And, you know, you're, yeah. You're well, and there's a beautiful like meet in the middle there. It's a mutual respect for listeners. I will call him age because in high school, that's what students called you. You weren't Adriano, you were age. Uh, but you, Bridget is like my sister. We are the same person. She is loud and energetic. She was a theater kid. <laughs> she was the only kid I've ever heard been told to be more quiet on stage than loud. Mary does not like to let me live that down. Oh, it's my favorite story you've ever been told. <laughs> it is a good story. He was like, Bridget, can you just like lower the volume a little bit? And I was like, this is my outlet. <laughs> Everyone who goes on stage, it's like, project. You're yeah. too quiet. Not Bridget, not Bridget. <laughs> not me. But yeah, she's, she, we both have learning disabilities. We were both told to like, sit down, shut up, tame yourself, tame yourself. And you were the type of people that Bridget has her mentors in her life too, that are the few that are like, no, no, there's something great in there. Don't ignore that. Let's use that and filter it properly. And it's why we're both doing the way we are now is because of people like well, you. And, and, and I think it's real. And that's why all these years later, we have that mutual respect and, and friendship and and love you know and 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 i and i have no problem saying that no. because it's true it's organic and it's real you can't fake it you know when it's real it's real. yeah absolutely you guys are so cute and gushy <laughs> okay enough it's all a great right. friendship all right bridge get into it all right let's start with our first question so this is an obvious but a weighted question so you're a parent you're a teacher you're a mentor you're involved in the lives of youths in all the different ways um what do you think of 20 somethings today what what's different what what do you hope for us what's your point of view um you're right it is a weighted and loaded question because i have the luxury of having a 20 year old um my son uh, turned 20 in uh, May. And so I get to see what he's going through from a parent perspective and then balance it from a teacher's perspective with some of my students. And um, I try ever the student of, of sociology I tried to remember what it was like when I was at that ripe, and I mean ripe, age of 20. And it's funny that I, I, I remember it with rose-colored glasses. And um, 20-somethings have it tough. And I truly believe the beginning of the 20s are the toughest. I think the, the, the 30s, are a blur. That's what my mom said too. <laughs> oh no. You don't remember anything. It's so true. The 40s, you start figuring it out and, and you get your groove. And now that I'm in my early 50s, you're just loving it. But 
it's the we got to wait another 10, 12 years before that's, we feel good about ourselves. That's like my you, life again. <laughs> I'm telling you, and they are the greatest. Those are the greatest wow. because at that point you go, yeah, I get it. I, 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 really, right. I really get it. And you know, if, if there's one thing I got and I really got in, in the 40s, without, sorry, for, with removing the religious aspect to it, but more the esoteric aspect, in my 40s, I realized two things. One, there is a God. And two, I ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the most important thing yeah. that, I, that I got. I love that. There is, and I ain't it. And I, and I, I guess, led myself to believe in, in the 20s that, you know, I mean, Everything, but everything happened in the 20s. So now, my, I mean, my son moved out and he's, he's living uh, on his own uh, with, with, uh, with a flatmate uh, in downtown Toronto in a condo. Uh, he's in school. He's struggling with this idea of how much to study, what to study. He's changed options twice. And I support every decision he makes. And I, but I really do feel for, for 20-year-olds because if I could use an analogy... A 20-year-old is given a fantastic new computer without the manual, and they're figuring out how the hell to use it. And they're going to be the few who are going to um, do really well at that early stage. But for the most part, the, uh, the, most of the people in their 20s are going to just make the computer do what, what it has to do. That analogy could be extended to a car, uh, a very, mm-hmm. very good sports car. And they have no idea what the vehicle can do. They just want to drive it. And that happens later. Um, so mm-hmm. I, 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 I think the 20s are the most exciting, exciting part of a person's life, really. Well, looking at your son now, he's 20, you must look back and think about you being a young man at 20 and the difference between the world now and the world then. It's such a different world, almost in a way that parents can't relate necessarily like you didn't go through a pandemic and move out of your house at 20 so understanding what your son's situation is and guiding him through it is going to be so different it's a car you've never driven before you're absolutely right yeah um good good one mayor thank you (laughs) but what i've learned in my 50s is that Mm -hmm. and and i think it's something you could only learn through experience um not, not not to ever imagine that you know one is wiser um, one is just more experienced. Um, Jimi Hendrix had had the great band, The Experience, and, and what he was alluding to was having gone through that. And of course, with all the drug use, blah, 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 blah. But it was having gone through, when, when you were experienced, are you experienced meant, have you gone through it? And having gone through it, it's a totally different world, but it's very similar in so many ways. Perhaps the external pressures because of uh, phones and technology and social media absolutely make the world a bigger place. But those same questions that a 20-year-old has of themselves are and always will be the same. You know, where do I go from here? I'm not a kid anymore. What do I do? I still feel like a kid. So whether or not we have, you know, an application that has to be done online or an application that needs to be submitted on paper, mm-hmm. you're still applying to something. You're still trying to figure out yeah. who and what you are, right? So it's a better car, yeah. but it's the same car. Right. 
Yeah, right? that's a good point. Yeah, you're still going to have similar self-doubts. You're still going to be lost regardless mm-hmm. of the external factors. Yeah, internally right. similar processes are going on, which I haven't thought about it that way yet. That's right. Being the son of an immigrant, the expectations that my parents had of me were different than what I have of my son. And and I use my son because he's in, in his 20s. My daughter's 17. But my parents didn't really have an expectation because they came from uh, an agricultural culture in Europe. And whatever it is that, you know, you did in order to get a, a good job and keep that job was was okay. Our generation, my generation, uh, most of us, some of us have uh, higher education. We've, we've done things. And, you know, hearkening back to that wonderful introduction you gave, um, I've written nine plays, you know, I've... I've had the pleasure of playing live music. Um, I've recorded. I've practiced martial arts. Uh, I've lectured academically across Canada and otherwise. All those expectations, although never vocalized, must be there for my kid. They must be. I know they must be. In the deep recesses of, of, of his mind, he must be saying, wow, what am I going to do to, to one-up that? And I need that to be one-upped. I, 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 I don't expect it to, but I hope mm-hmm. that it is. I want right. my 20-year-old to say, okay, he did this. Now mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. So he and his right. friend opened up uh, a business um, online where they uh, create original visual art and they apply it to different medium. And I thought, okay. That's cool. They are a lot more enterprising than I was. They see the speed with which information could be dispersed. And they have this world of the Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I was just going to yeah. say, are they trying to, use, to sell this for Bitcoin? Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what? That currency is a very real currency for them, for me. It's, it's going to be the I mean, currency of the future. So, I mean, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> guys, we didn't have a loony. We actually had a paper $1 and a paper $2. Really? Yeah. So, I was actually going to say, like, you you were saying that, you know, you've dabbled in all of these different things. So, does that give you a more open mind when you're raising your son now? You said he's changed his his idea of the future twice. I bet that helps you you know, be more open-minded with when he switches gears or when he talks about switching gears. Sky's the limit. I think mm. I'm the only parent I know who was trying to coerce my son not <laughs> to go to university. Really? Take a few years. Find out who you are. Enjoy. And he says, no, you know, if I don't do this, I won't go back. And I said, that's okay. I want you to be happy. I want you to say, yeah, you know what? I, I didn't go to, you know, Western, McGill, uh, Ryerson, or mm-hmm. you know, University X, whatever. Um, but I I sold fruit in a market in Greece. And that that experience, you know. Yeah. Well, it's cool that you you set the expectation verbally of happiness. For him, it's like the fact that he has a parent that's like, Let's 
our goal is happiness. And if you're in this, that's great. And let's keep discovering and pushing those boundaries. I think that's rare. I think that's rare for kids to feel like they have that kind of support. And I think going back to Bridget's point, I think that's because I've, I've dabbled in, in, in so much. And I, I keep thinking when I grow up, I'm going to find something I want to do. But <laughs> I love that. I, I, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep at yeah. it. Cause um, I mean, you mentioned theater. I, I, I had gotten into, I auditioned uh, 1988 to York, uh, to the York theater program. And, uh, and I got in and it was weird because there was, I mean, I thought I wanted to be an actor and I quickly, quickly got out of that world because I found that theater students were just too weird. They were, they were always on. There was never a point where theater students could go, okay, you know, now, now, now I'm, now I'm me. They were always performing, and, and I thought this is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Mary and brought that up once too. So I flipped, and and I and I decided to do the writing part of it, so that way at least I could tell them when when to act and when not. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I went that route, but yeah, so I I, I get it, man. Listen, twenty year old right now, they're supposed to be confused, and I think the greatest lie that's being told to them is that. You must know. If you don't know by 20 years old, blah, 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 garbage. You're not supposed to know. Which is how you feel in grade 11 and 12 when your guidance counselor sits you down and says, I don't understand why you don't know. It is a lie. I had one student years ago who wanted to become a professional wrestler. And I supported her decision 100%. And after a year, she came to visit and she said, yeah, it didn't work out. But she wanted to thank me because um, I'm the only person who said to her, yeah, go do it. But you need a cool stage name. You know, why not? Why not? Now, if I decide at the age of 52 (sighs) that I'm going to go into professional wrestling, I think there's an issue. But at 17, 18... 20. I think that's when you should be yeah. trying these weird, different experiences because that's, that's, that's when the opportunity is afforded to you. You have no responsibility there. I shouldn't say that. For the most part, you don't have as great a responsibility as you do later in life. You don't have other lives that depend on you. Mm-hmm. Um, you are not obligated to, to, to behave the way society expects you to behave. You're allowed to be 20. And I think the Roaring Twenties in America are a really cool indication of what a person in their 20s should be. Go, live, make mistakes, be a flapper. I don't care. Enjoy, man. You do it at 50, there's a problem. Yeah, and that it's nice to hear you talk about that because even for Bridget and I, like people are always trying to kind of put us in a box of like, what do you do? What do you do? Like, what is your job? I mean, I don't even really know. <laughs> I know. And I'm learning to laugh at it. And I'm learning to say like, I'm, I've always been a creator. That's always been my mindset. Similar to you. I lived in that world for a while for many reasons, including it wasn't a profession I wanted to take on. There was this world of like, 
false living that I, I didn't want. The actor mentality can get very confusing. And so mm. I got out of it and I didn't have that identity as an actor anymore. And ever since then, people are like, so what are you? So what do you do? So where? And it and I've always felt that pressure to like find the thing. What's, what is the job title? What is the thing that we do? And slowly and slowly, both Bridget and I are just ending in a place where we're like, we're just going to do this ourselves and the job will be what we call it. It doesn't actually matter. We'll pay our bills. Mm -hmm. We'll continue to create. We'll continue to build and grow and like still looking for that thing we're going to do when we grow up and we'll continue to find it. And you know what? Man, that that is so beautiful and refreshing to hear both of you do that. Uh, I don't know Bridget, but I do know you and I have followed your multiple careers. Your 12,000 careers. And, and And I applaud them. I really do. And you know what? Uh, from one perspective, here's Mary Margaret who, you know, hasn't found that thing, but I see the Mary Margaret who has done so much and so different. And I'm thinking there are people who will reach their 50s and they will not have half of the experiences that you have had. They have never put on an event. They don't know what it's like to be in the theater world. They don't know what it's like to create even this podcast, which I think is, is, is brilliant and beautiful and important, they won't do that. And they will wake up at 50 and say, I've done the same thing that I've done for 30 years and I'm miserable. That's, and you know what? It's because I had a father and a mother with your attitude. And my dad always said that you can have 10 years of one experience or you can have one year of 10 experiences. And he says, I know who I would hire. Yep. And that's always been my, I've never been afraid of that job change. Because of that perspective, you're providing your son right now. You know what? My objective is to create a kid who becomes a genetics notwithstanding, stable individual and yeah. uh, and happy. I want him to be happy because um, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. That was That's what popped into my mind. <laughs> But I mean it, Bridget. I mean it, man. I mean it. Just yeah. remind yourself. And you know what, man? If I could say anything to those other 20-year-olds, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. If you're happy and you know it, even just, just clap your hands, man. And that'll bring you back to who you are. I love that. That's fantastic. I love that. So Mary and I have gone through our early 20s, and we have our, our podcast episodes out about our stories. But now that we're in our later 20s, um, one of the big conversations in our lives, our friends' lives, everybody's life right now is marriage and babies, especially babies. Um, and I know that you just celebrated an anniversary with your wife, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. How long have you guys been together? We have been married 20 Five years, but we've been together 35 years. Are you guys our high school sweethearts? Yes, we're high school sweethearts and we've been together. Did you know she was the one, like, when you met her? I still don't know she is the one. All I know is that she has stomached me for all these years. <laughs> um, my son was asking me about relationships, right? And how it was back in my day. So I, I had explained to him that we would club our women over the head and drag them into the cave. As one should. As, as, <laughs> as one shouldn't. And I think that there's a place for that. Listen, for all, for all you um, uh, feminists out there, that, that, that was humor. Oh, that's how that one works. Okay. <laughs> We're just kidding. 
Yes. So you didn't club your wife over the head. No, but I've been but I've been getting clubbings ever since. <laughs> I've been on the receiving end of it. Um, so I, I said I said to him it, it was different because our social circle was a lot smaller, and we luckily didn't have a history that was around every corner. You guys do. Mm-hmm. Everything you do is recorded. Everything you say is recorded. Um, that picture that you've been with somebody, and then two weeks later, you're with another person. Hold on a sec. What's going on? So mm-hmm. all of those pressures were, weren't there. And we didn't know any better. I mean, I, 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 I told my son I was dating the most beautiful woman, girl, in school. I married her, and I'm still deeply deeply in love with her we celebrated 25 years and she's she's my number one you know it's it's i know it's pretty cheesy to, to say but it's true and and i hope everybody finds that you know and and all those questions about kids and everything that 20 year olds have in relationships it was a foregone conclusion with us you okay i was gonna ask that because when you meet her you're in high school so you still obviously have like we have to graduate high school that's right you need to go to school for our jobs and all those things. But did was there an obvious like, okay, we're going to get married, get a house, or like get jobs, get married, get a house, have kids, whatever that. Okay. Was that the assumption? Full disclosure, I am everywhere I am today because I have had the most supportive partner uh, and my bride, my best friend, has made most of my decisions for me. So we were dating for 10 years, right? So we started dating when she was 17, I was 18. And, uh, sorry, she was 16 and I was 17. Correction. And 10 years later, we had gone through school. We did everything that we thought we wanted to do. 10 years later, on Halloween night, I'll never forget it, uh, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, comes to pick me up in her silver Honda Civic, and um, she says, do you want to go for a ride? I had just finished giving the kitties a uh, uh, Halloween treats. And I said, yes, I am definitely going for a ride with my, <laughs> with my then girlfriend, now wife, um, on Halloween night. Right? Going to be some more tricks and treats happening here. And Hello. we went <laughs> down to the local park and we parked in the parking spot. And I thought, Yes. <laughs> It's time. She said, listen to this. So she put in a cassette tape in her car and she played for me Meatloaf's. Oh, God. The, the, the seniors moment. Uh, the song is called Let Me Sleep On It. Baby, baby, let me sleep on oh, it. Oh, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. Thank you. Way to go, And she Mary. played the whole song for me. And I'm thinking... Yeah, it's a cool song. There's some really cool changes. What's going on? And then she said, are we going to do this? And I'm thinking, yeah, I'll be ready on that. <laughs> and she says, no, are we going to do this? Are we going to have our lives together? I have shivers. She said, it's been 10 years. And I went, why write a good thing? Honestly, I said, why wreck a good thing? I was scared. I didn't know. I was 26, mm-hmm. 27 years old. I was 26. And uh, she says, well, I can't wait. 
So either we do this or, you know, we both. Good for her. And I wasn't ready to lose her. Um, so she proposed to me. Oh, I love this. I know. She proposed to me inadvertently. I uh, said, yeah, we're going to get married. Then uh, we decided we were going to get married. And within a year, we, we got married, which is another story. I proposed to her on, on bended knee at Remy's restaurant in Yorkville. And can, can I can I tell you the story? It's a great story. Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, she she was working at the time at Air Canada Reservations, which was in Yorkville in the Big Towers. I was waiting. I was twenty six years old. There were no teaching jobs. I had tried my luck in other industries, and I thought I'm not going to get married until I have a job. Which is another thing that you do in your 20s, right? You, you're not going to get married without a stable job. Mm-hmm. And teaching was the thing that I had graduated from, and this is what I'm going to do. Well, I landed a job, and uh, we decided, okay, we're, we're going to get married. This is what we're going to do. And on the opening day of trout season, which is the day I wanted to remember, I went fishing with my buddy Lou, my best friend, who was the best man at my wedding and still my best friend. And uh, I was going to hopefully catch a trout and put the ring in her mouth and present a trout. Well, why? I didn't catch a trout. This is like guy's Tinder profile pictures, I know. except there's a ring in it. You know, the bass that, that, okay. that dances. Well, it would have been the trout with the ring, right? So didn't catch the trout. So instead, I uh, I had second plan of presenting her with my favorite sonnet, Shakespearean sonnet, which she knows. Um, let me not to the marriage of true love, admit impediment, blah, 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 blah. And I carved out that much of the book, placed the ring in it, glued the book shut so that we wouldn't lose the very expensive ring. We went to dinner, picked her up from work. She ordered dinner, and as we're having hors d'oeuvres, I said, hey, I got you something, and I presented her Shakespeare's sonnet collections. And she said, yeah, that's great. So at work today, this is what happened, blah, 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 blah. And I said, how the hell am I going to get her to open this book? I said, would you do me a favor? I said, would you read to me my favorite sonnet, 118? And she said, later. And I said, no, I said, I want you to read it to me now. And she says, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I will read it later. I said, you're going to read the thing now, and you're gonna, I want to hear it now. And she said, fine. She's trying to open this book, and it's glued shut. And I thought, shit, none of this is happening the way it's supposed to happen. So, should have gone with the trout. Hey, should have gone with the trout. So, I said, give me that book. I got a book, I'm wrestling with it. Pop it open, and this ring sort of falls out. I take it, I get on one knee, and I said, will you marry me? And her response was, yes, yes. Then she got up, and she left the table. The two people who were to my right thought it was the cutest thing they've ever seen. My wife got up and left me there 
And I said, she, she, she did say yes, everybody. And where the <laughs> hell did she go? She went to the payphone. Whoa, what's that? Yeah, wait, payphone. Exactly. There was no self. So at the entrance, she had to get up and leave. So she left me there eating cold dinner while she's yammering on her phone with her sister and her best friend that Frank just asked her to marry him, blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting there and I'm going. I'm by myself. (laughs) And I've been waiting the same way for 20, 35 years, 25 (laughs) years of marriage. Yeah, but that's that's what happened uh, when when we got married. So backtrack. Um, So Doris is the reason why I did everything. We got married because Doris wanted to get married. We we, we rented uh, for, for a bit. Then Doris wanted to go buy a house. So we went to go buy a house. Then Doris wanted to have kids. So we had our first kid and we, we lost our first kid. And um, every major decision that we've made, we've made because Doris said, hey, Let's do this. And she took me by the hand and we did it. Wow. And so you talked about, sorry, yeah, you talked about you when you guys first had kids and you lost your first kid. Yep. Can we talk about that journey for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Which leads us back again to what we said about our 20s. The 20s is when you get everything um, for the first time on your own. Because up until mm-hmm. then, most of us traditionally have an infrastructure, a parental base that supports us. And if there is a death in the family, the, the parents are there to help us. Uh, extended family is there to help us. But any of those real decisions, like marriage, you're alone. And man, when you say those vows, you're alone. And you gotta mm-hmm. move that. And death was the same way for us. Um, and we were so excited about having uh, our first child. And more than halfway into my wife's pregnancy, we were having breakfast together. And she wasn't feeling well. And all of a sudden, her water broke. Mm. And we couldn't understand it. We had, again, no internet, no nothing, right? So you're not Googling going, what the hell's happening, you know? There's no, hey, Siri, what the hell does this mean? None of Mm -hmm. it. So we go to the hospital. We go to the hospital, and after a very long day in Emerge, the nurse comes out and says, the doctor needs to speak to you. The doctor says, your wife, the amniotic fluid is gone, and the baby's not going to survive. And so she needs a DNC. I have no idea what a DNC is. They use the technical term. And then the nurse, I remember, I'll never forget this. She turns to me and she says, dust and clean. Don't worry, dust and clean. Yeah. And I wasn't sure what that meant. And, and I'm alone. And I'm alone. It's just me and my wife. Now, our, our parents are at home. Our infrastructure of friends are at home. But at that moment, it's you and, and your spouse. And that's it. And I remember they prepped Doris right away. And they said, okay. Another nurse comes in and said, okay. She looked at the file. She said, so she said that we're here for, for the abortion. And those words, mm-hmm. the DNC didn't hurt. The 
medical term that hurt, but when the nurse used the word abortion and abort the baby, it, 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 it freaked us out because that word was so heavy. And the nurse saw that we were affected by that. She said, no, no, I, I mean, there's a procedure. And she became very clinical and very medical about it. And yeah, that night, you know, I took her home. Maybe she spent the night, but all I know is that that was our first real intimate loss. And we had that together. And we didn't know how to react with that because you have nothing to base it on, you know? No, and it's during a time where these aren't conversations talked about out loud. That's right. And it comes with this, like, it's like intergenerational shame and... Right. This history of we don't talk about these things. And you're right, not having internet as well, but there's been a conditioning to keep this to yourself. That's right. Not seen as a grief, not seen as a, a loss. Obviously, to you it is. But how do you find that community when right. you don't know anybody else who's gone through it? That's right. And how old were you guys at this time when this we happened? We were... See, we're married at 26, so we must have been 27. Oh, no, I'll tell you exactly. Uh, Doris was 29. Yes, Doris was 29, and I had turned 30 because um, it, was, it was after that that we moved and we bought our house. Yeah, so Doris was 29. But she had lost wow. her dad at 20. Seven. Oh, dad died. Poor Doris. And you. And this mm. is a man who I knew for 10 years. And again, it was like, yeah. it was not like it. It was, it was losing a parent. And I, I remember Doris and I having to make all the funeral arrangements. And again, this is, this is all new, right? This mm -hmm. is later in life. You, you, you reflect on it and, and perhaps, but this is all very new. And, and, you have nobody to bounce this off of because, um, you know. There's no rule book. There's no rule book of how you go through these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, it, that, that, that whole experience brought us even closer, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and when I asked Doris's permission to talk about this during the podcast, she said, yeah, she goes, that's, that, that's, that's fine. That's fine. It's fine. And I thought, man, that's, that's, that's cool of her. Because again, you have that, that stigma, that shame, that, that whatever. And we're not the first people to have ever lost a child. Uh, um, you know. No, but it's still rare to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And even though for you guys, some people might say like, well, it was so long ago, it might be easier. I'm of a belief it never gets easier. Those are forever losses. Those are forever wondering what life would be if the road went differently. Especially because it was that late into yeah, the pregnancy, yes. you know. Um, but three years later, we had uh, we had Julian. So during that time after this happened, you know, Doris is experiencing all of the physical symptoms that come along with this kind of situation. What's it like being the husband of somebody who's going through that and you're not, you can't really take on any of the physical aspects of it, but how do you support somebody in that situation? You know what? Um, again, this is going to sound so cheesy, but you, you love that person. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, 
you exemplify that love in any way you can, in every way you can, you know. And if she wants to talk, you talk. If she wants to stay quiet, stay quiet. If she just wants you to hold her, you hold her. If she wants you to leave, you leave, you know. Um, all, all of that and removing, removing the two people as separate entities and digging that, you're one. So she wasn't suffering. We were suffering. Mm -hmm. I wasn't helping her. We were helping each other. And did you ever feel any, like obviously you were going through this too, but I feel like the focus is a lot of the time on the woman who's going through it. Did you ever feel like, I don't know, you were kind of... It wasn't a we, it was a her. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting that you say that. And, and, I, and although this may seem... And sound callous and like I'm making light of it. It isn't. I recently, bear with me, I recently got a puppy, a female, Jazz. She's crazy. It's our first female. We had her spay, as every responsible pet owner should have. If you like Bob Barker saying that. But um, I was more affected knowing that we were taking her in and giving her a hysterectomy, knowing that she can't ever have puppies, than I was with both my male dogs who were neutered. It, really? it really, really affected me. And, uh, and I think that goes back to your question, Bridget. There's something beautiful and magical and real about a woman, and she gets to create life and give birth. And when that's something we, we will never know, we're part of it, but we'll never know. And so when that's taken away from, from a woman, I think, it's, it, I think it's very, very powerful. And I think it's something that, again, it's not the first person to ever go through it, and heaven knows that won't be the last person, but there's something very powerful about, about that. And when we even had our puppy, or girl, it affected me. It's it's weird. I have so many questions. So my one question is now at the age you guys are at, so my assumption is back then this happens the months after everything, when she goes to work and she's having a really sad day, it's not as easy as when when she loses her dad and she goes into work and has a sad day. Everyone goes, oh, she lost her dad. She's having a sad right. day. But it's, it's not, you don't, yeah, and maybe it's shared or not shared with people, but it, it, there isn't a real human that other people met. You guys woke up every day during the pregnancy thinking about this baby. And so when you lose it, that loss is so intense and not talked about. That's right. At this age, you guys get older. Is it more of a conversation? Do you reflect on that? Do, do more people in your age range share these stories of similar experiences? You know, it's funny, Mary, that except for very few very dear intimate friends that's just something that we have kept ours that's that's ours that mm -hmm. that that pain is ours and that and i i remember mentioning it to my own kids one day at dinner and i think it was my son or my daughter and they said uh did you guys ever have want to have any other kids? And I said, well, actually, you would have had an older brother or sister. And we told them. And they were just like, 
really? That happened? And I said, yeah, that happened. But, but it, it was our... It was our private little moment. You're right. People know when your parents die because they don't see your parents anymore. Mm-hmm. But they don't know about a child that wasn't born. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that, that's ours, you know. And, and I think there's something beautiful about that, too. That, that's ours. That's yeah. ours, you know. Which is fair for you guys to keep that in your world. And that's an experience you two went through together. Yep. On the other side, as a woman in my young 20s, well, no, that's not true at all. That's not true, Mary. You're almost 30. <laughs> Get with it. I'm turning 29 <laughs> in three weeks. You're like real old. My young 20s. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, no, but someone who's gone through her 20s, a lot of friends having babies, talking about babies, Bridget and I, all we talk about is babies. And I get angry when people don't want to talk about in vitro, don't want to talk about not being able to have babies, struggling with having babies, miscarriages, because they're everywhere. Like if you open up and talk to people, it's one degree of separation. You'll find someone who's gone through something similar, never the same, but similar. And it's, that's the hard part for me is I'm like, Mm -hmm. thank you for talking about this because there is someone who's going to be listening, who's trying to get pregnant or just lost a baby. Even if it was two days after they found out they're pregnant and have a miscarriage, it hurts. It's hard. And they should be allowed, husband, wife, boy, girl, anyone, you should be allowed to suffer and struggle as if you lost anyone else in your life. Absolutely. That's not talked about. Knowing that that's a shared experience does help. Yeah. So how did you guys at this time find people to connect with? Like, did you have anybody to talk to about this who's been through something similar? Nobody who knew. You're just alone, but you're together. Absolutely. You know, we, that, that was ours. That was our thing, you know? And it's funny that when we, when we spoke um, to, to my mother-in-law, which is another thing we didn't know. She shared with us that she had six mar- uh, six uh, miscarriages. Oh. And we went, really? She goes, oh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And it's crazy then, too, because especially, so for your mother-in-law, especially then, you didn't find out as early as we do that you're pregnant. Right. Because pregnancy tests, they didn't exist back then to know that soon. That's so true. when that miscarriage, six of those miscarriages, that's far along for nowadays comparison. Absolutely. So what kind of advice would you offer to a couple going through that right now? Would you tell them to talk about it? Would you tell them to keep it a special thing between them? What would your advice be? You know what, Bridget, that's a really, really great question. Because your your generation, your 20s, are used to sharing everything. Ours isn't. And even to this day, um, our generation keeps certain things between ourselves but you guys heck you put it out there you you guys put you guys take a picture of meals that you're eating and let everybody know so whatever what my advice is whatever helps but never ever 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 think you're in this alone you are in it with your uh with with i'm gonna call it a spouse because traditionally that's where i come from but your partner you guys are together and again my hurting wasn't my hurting her hurting wasn't her hurting. It was our hurting, and it was our healing, and it was our joy. It, we, that's something we shared together, man. It wasn't hers. It wasn't mine. It's ours. You know, in, in, in different definitions, of course, and, and 
with the different ways. I mean, she went through the physical part of it, absolutely. Um, but 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 I was there for her, and 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 I and I think we collectively respected each other through that. And I think that's the best advice, man. It's not you. It's not her. It's it's both of you. So then, the next time you get pregnant, what comes along with that journey? Fear. Oh my God, what do you do? And the funny thing is that uh, the doctors advised uh, my wife that now with this type of procedure, you know, um, it may be more difficult to, to get to get pregnant. Mm. Well, it wasn't. Oh, it Myrtle Myrtle? Wasn't. And I'm thinking, yeah, we're going to have a marathon. Nope. Nope. And I remember. We're going to have a marathon. The man's brain into infertility. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's what we turn into positive. Right? And yeah. I got a card from my wife. And it said, ready or not, here it comes. And I'm, I'm gonna grow hug a shiver. Awesome. And then we had jewels. So, yeah. Great Thank kid. You. Um well I know it's been years that since this has happened, but like Mary says, it never it's it's never less hard. So I'm yeah. so sorry that you guys went through that. Thank That's, you. It's really tough. Thank you. Um, but let's shift gears. Yep. Um so you told us in your pre interview survey that as a kid you wanted to be an auto mechanic. Yep. And now you're a teacher, slash yep. everything else that you are. Yep. <laughs> what was that journey? Why, why Why? did you want to be an auto mechanic and how did that translate into being a teacher? You know what? I still love cars. I used to collect... See, back in the day, we never had anything online. Everything were magazines. So all our mm-hmm. girly magazines were magazines. All our pornography <laughs> were pornographic magazines. All our cars, <laughs> all our guitar magazines were magazines. So this is something... And I... I, I just loved cars. I loved everything about them. I, I found them interesting, and I was going to be a mechanic. I was going to be a mechanic. I was going to be a mechanic. And uh, then I was going to be a real estate agent. Then I had no intentions of going to school. And again, my parents, they said, whatever you do, be good at That's the only thing they said. Whatever you, whatever you decide to do, be good at it. So I had no idea. I failed grade 13. All my buddies, including Doris, graduated. I had to go back to grade 14. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think that's really? why... Really? Did you feel like it was going to be at the time, though? Like, how, what were the feelings like when you no, failed grade 13? I was so angry. I was so angry because I failed history. What? <laughs> Ironically. Yeah, I know. I, well, Mayor, I was student council president. I was dating the most beautiful girl in the school. I, I had it all, man. And school was not of any interest to me. And I'm going to be a mechanic. <laughs> I don't give a shit. And then I, yeah, Doris begged. Doris begged my history teacher, John Harkness, I'll never forget him, to give me the credit. Because it was like 47 point something. And he would not. And it's not this day and age where you can't fail kids Anywhere, anywhere near 40, you give him the credit and move him ahead. That was a fail. And she begged him. And he said, nope. Um, everybody graduated. I felt like a loser. But I went back to Emory the following year. I took his course again because I was going to show him 
that I could pass this course. Good for you. Well, not only did I pass this course, what a life lesson. I got something like an 84. And I said to him, I'll never forget this. I said, you see, told you I could do it. And he turned to me and said, no, I told you you could do it. And that hit me and I went, that's fantastic. He's not upset. You know, you're, you're, you're supposed to be upset. I did this to get back at you. And instead he said, nope, I told you you could do it. We became friends. I still have two history books that he's given me of his own personal collection. And I went to school. I had no idea what I was. I, a year has gone. I worked. All my friends, including my girlfriend, had gone on. So I was alone. And it was the best thing that happened because I had to redefine myself and I had to refine myself. And I didn't have that comfort zone where people knew me. Nobody knew me. And that year is, is, is a huge year because people move on. And it's the best thing that happened to me. It really, really is. And I fell in love with literature. I told you the whole thing about trauma and wanting to be a, a, a theater major. And I fell in love with literature. In fact, I was golfing two days ago with my university professor, whom I is my mentor, and I love him. And I beat him, by the way. I beat him. <laughs> nice. Uh, Important uh, note. I was going to ask. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I fell in love with it and I followed literature. And what do you do with a specialist degree in Renaissance and medieval lit? Like if you think, if you think an act, acting job, acting career, acting education is a dead end, what the hell do you do with you know, besides reading Beowulf in the original English, what the hell do you do? <laughs> so I applied to teacher's college three times. Did not get in. Twice. Third time, I have hair, and I know it's weird, but I had hair down to my waist, all one length. And I just, instead of putting it up on a ponytail, I, I, my third interview, I just went in. Me. I was wearing a leather jacket, an Ozzy Osbourne t-shirt, I'll never forget it, my hair down. And I got in. And I got into the concurrent program. So I did the So what made you, sorry, what made you keep going back and, and trying at this point where you like this, I want to do this, I want to succeed at I, I, this. I wanted, I, I want to do this. I, I don't know what the hell else I'm going to do with an English degree. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think I want to do this. And then when I got in, I realized... Yeah, this is, this is it. This is it, you know. And then you got that slap in the face in your mid-20s when you do graduate and there are no jobs. And mm-hmm. being blood for punishment, I kept 32, 32 rejection letters. Ugh. Okay, we have to talk about yeah, this. The letters. We we just released Bridget's episode, which was all about trying to get a job, getting fired, this world of being in your 20s and not getting work. So definitely came up a lot. We've had people respond and say to us, like, I'm going through this right now. This is pure hell. It's an ego hit. But my favorite part was when you told <laughs> that you've told us you got rejection letters in the mail. And we were like, wait, wait, wait. So not only did they take time to tell you you didn't get the job, but they like put it in the mail and yeah. sent it to you and you had to wait for that. Yeah. And now <laughs> they just don't tell you. You're just You're like, right. did you did you get my 
application or <laughs> you get nothing so many jobs i've applied for and there's just never been a response you're like i guess not at least this was the courtesy of saying <laughs> screw off yeah and it's just hilarious because they made way more effort to tell you to screw off you're right you're right and and i kept them i kept each and every letter see because back in the day there wasn't one board of education uh, north york had its board toronto had its board etobicoke had its board so all these different municipalities had its own board of education so you applied to all of them and each of them was a return thank you no thank you thank you no thank you thank you no thank you and and it was humbling it was it was really really humbling man and and i had given up on teaching i said that's it i got to get on with my life I'm done. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to find a job. Um, and I applied to and got accepted to uh, Saudi Arabia to teach English at a business school. Wow, you have had a lot of experiences. Well, dig this. You have to figure this was 19... Let me see. 1994. Six ninety ninety five ninety six, and they were offering sixty two thousand American. Ooh. Is that I don't know what it what can you give us a comparison? Today would be a hundred and fifty oh, okay. thousand. Yeah. So at your age, mid twenties, yeah, right, mid 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 to late twenties. Here is a hundred and sixty hundred seventy thousand okay. dollars. I'll take it. Right. We'll go live in Saudi Arabia, <laughs> but also yeah. yeah. So. Here are the details. I'm going to go to Saudi Arabia. I live in a compound. I get to fly home twice in one year. No alcohol, no tobacco, Oof. no women. I'm going to jail. I say, okay, all right, all right. I, 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 I could do this. I could do this. <laughs> Doris yeah. is like, I'm fine. You can go. <laughs> don't, don't, yeah. Doris is, you know what? I'm not happy about it, but if you think you got to do this, go too. And I, uh, I successfully passed through a phone interview. Right, because there's none of this, right? So there was a, a paper, and then there's a phone interview, and you're speaking to somebody. And then, as luck would have it, October of that year, I got called to uh, to go in for an interview here at forty-two thousand, no, perhaps even less, maybe thirty-eight thousand Canadian. So, like twenty thousand less than what you were offered. More, More so because so I was American, American yeah. Right? Okay, wow. So this was the thirty thousand, um, and I got hired with our board uh, twenty-seven years ago, and Saudi Arabia never materialized. Wow. But uh, yeah, what a decision yeah. to have to make! Like yeah. completely change your whole life for the money, yeah, or. Yep. Keep your life the way it is. Stay happy the way you are, but you're not going to have that that income yep. that you could. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. It's crazy. And I want to yes. talk. I want to get into this teacher stuff a bit because obviously this sure. is where, however many years later, you work in that world, and I get the pleasure. My very first class in high school, grade nine, was a 
quickly seen course at Robert F. Hall called Dramatic English. <laughs> yep. I was one of like four classes that got this class. But yep. age, this was your baby. You were eight, you took an English, it was an academic English class for high school in the Catholic school board, and you were allowed to dramatize it. So everything was relative to plays and theater and all that jazz, which it already is pretty headed towards yeah there's a lot of shakespeare in english yeah but i can promise you you didn't learn shakespeare the way i learned shakespeare which was day one getting a lecture of this man walking in with his energy and chaos going anything you've ever told has been wrong i'm not allowed to teach you what shakespeare is actually writing about because it's too sexual it's disgusting and no one actually really knows. So really, if the school board knew what he was saying, we wouldn't be teaching it. What and that was how Adriano introduced us to Shakespeare. And so on we went. Please tell was... me he was dressed up as Shakespeare while he did this. No, but he drew. All I'm going to say is he drew some examples on the board to help us understand what he couldn't say. And it was comical and fantastic. And also and just and true and so true. Um, my favorite. So I just want to tell a quick story of, so like we've talked about you being that type of teacher that just finds people, you find their energy and you lift them up. And that's a fantastic thing. You did a wonderful thing. So we, there's hits and misses as teachers, right? Like sometimes yeah. it's a swing and a miss. Sometimes it's a home run. So yes, I'm so thankful you took me on this journey. But one of my favorite things was in grade nine, we're in this class and you said to me, Mary, you need to take writer's craft. It's a course I teach in grade 12. And and from that day, I was like, I have to do it. Grade 12, I have to take writer's crap. I got, you pulled me out of class to go sit in on a lesson, grade nine. So I, and I got so excited and I wanted to do it. I'm sure I did somewhat well in the English class. That was fine. That was great. I get to grade 10, grade 11, the, the uh, guidance counselor, God bless them, but they were encouraging me not to take writer's craft they wanted me to take law classes to prepare for writer's craft which makes no goddamn sense what um and and they're going hey you're a person with ADD and dyslexia and you have an IEP is this really smart for you and I was like I don't care they were trying to be putting me on Ritalin I didn't want to take Ritalin age had to come in and vouch for me let her take this course and I took the course. Why would there be and, so much pushback about? Well, you know what, Bridge? Because they weren't wrong. I did very poorly in the class. <laughs> <laughs> I was not good. Oh, that's hilarious. And age, I don't know if you remember, but I remember us finishing the course and you going, well, it's not for you, but you tried your best. <laughs> A plus for trying. Right. Yes. I'll never forget that. Well, but, but, you, but you know what, Mayor? There, and, and, and therein lies the problem right. that I see after 27 years with education. One of the many problems. They don't yeah. mean harm, but they cause harm. And they have a job to do, which is look into that crystal ball and try to see where you fit. I say, let them find where they fit. If she's hip to take this, let her take it. Have Half the obstacle in, in, in anything is the desire to do it. If you want to do it, do it. Even if you not, I was going to say fail, but even if you are not as successful as one would hope, you still get something out of it because you were never told no. Right. No, you're not good enough. 
No, you can't do this. No, do it, man. And then if you find out down the road, hey, maybe it's not for me, then you have found that out. But it wasn't somebody who dictated it to you. And you know what? ADD, ADHD, all these alphabet that we give everybody, be damned. <laughs> God, there's going to be a love fest, Bridget. I, I apologize. You are one of the most creative people that I have ever, 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 ever had a chance to privilege Privileged to teach in 27 years. Privileged. To Thank teach. you. So, you know, and, and we and we had so many students that did have the grades and they did have, and where yeah. are they? They're not doing this, you know, and whenever there's something creative going on, it's not the first time that there's a phone call that's reci reciprocal between we two that says, hey, listen, how would you like to do this? Because I, I think this would be good for you. And then, you know, we, we end up having... Um, a dinner at at a at a cafe slash restaurant with your dog inside the car, yep. but the windows the windows were cracked open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, it so was cold. Fine. It was cold out. I don't do it in the heat. Don't worry. It was cold. Don't worry. It was all fine. Yeah. So yeah. you know what? And and that that's the problem with the education system. Yeah. Well, and it was like you you were one of those first people that was like, hey, failure is going to happen and it's more about how you're going to get through the failure. Let's not assume you'll fail. You're going to work really hard, but let's not be a scared, let's not be scared of that outcome. And it was one of those first times in a classroom setting. <clears throat> My parents have always, knowing me and knowing mental health and knowing all those things for me growing up as a kid, I always had really great parents guiding me through that and going like, it's, it's not about that. And don't put those expectations on yourself. And a lot of coaching me when I come home upset because a teacher said something or I didn't feel in, in the right place, whatever. But there, there's always as a kid, you always have a, that eye looking up at the teacher, this physical setting where you're sitting in a chair and there's a teacher up in the front of the classroom and you want their approval and you want their respect and you want sure. the A plus and sure. it's so ingrained in you. So it was one of the first times where I came out of that going, the approval's always there. The approval's never not going to be there because you were, you weren't going, you need to get the grade for, to get my approval and whether, and you're right, it's not necessarily intentional. I don't think the school system's evil. I don't think that people who teach are evil, but I do think there no. is a way to step out a little bit and understand your position of power and how much control you might have over people or how much influence your opinion matters to a student and looking at them and being able to say, we're not going to do this the traditional route. You're going to do your best. You are so confident at your job where you're like, I have the tools to give you what you need. And then if it still doesn't work, yeah. it's still okay. And it's a success, Mir. And perhaps it's the martial arts mm. training. But um, as we were talking about before, I, I do own uh, my own martial arts school, which luck, luckily, thankfully, gets to open up again after 16 months. Oh, good. Months. But in the martial arts world, I've had students who are terrified to get into the ring or terrified to break a board. And I say to them, if you knew the outcome of this match, it would cripple you because you might lose. The point is doing it. Mm -hmm. And then, just listen, it's a competition. Somebody has to win. Somebody has to lose. But you've done it. And that's what it's all about, man. And I've had kids terrified to break a board. And, 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 I've, and I've said to them, 
this board that you're looking at, it's broken already. It's your choice now whether it will be you or somebody else who breaks it. And if you're not ready to break this board right now, you've tried. Right. Put your name on it. And I have. I've put, I put their name on it and I've put it away. And I've said in a month's time, we'll go back to that board. They don't get that. The educational system, and again, through no malice, but they don't get it. They, they, they have, and, and more so today, if, if, if you're not going to succeed via their definition of what success is, then don't, don't even bother. Right. No, man. That's, that's, not, that's not what it's about. That's not, I don't think anybody who has ever taken a risk has ever been successful. You've got to take a risk. You have to. And it may not always turn out your way, but you've, you've done it. You've taken that risk. And that gives you the courage to take on another risk. And in your 20s, that's when you do it. Yeah. Man. Don't, if you don't take risks in your 20s, you certainly won't in your 50s. I love yeah, that. Absolutely. Bridge, you have a little note here about one of your teachers, and I want you to share that with us if you can. So this one was about um, a teacher named Mr. Jordan. I went to ODSS. I went to I, I didn't go to Robert F. Hall. And he was an English teacher and he broke barriers the way that it sounds like you did, Frank, where he got to know each of his students on a more um like on a deeper level, he kind of knew how everybody learned. He knew what their limits were. And from that, he kind of adjusted everybody's lessons individually. So, for example, he was teaching us um, public speaking in grade 12 and he used a podium. So what? Uh, so we would have to, I guess it was like a book report or something. We'd have to go up and present our book report. If we couldn't do it, if we wanted to do it from our desk, that was fine. But if he knew that like we had the courage to go up and stand behind the podium and read our book report to the class, that was great. And then like the next tier up was um, taking the book report and like walking through the aisles of the class and talking to people individually and then taking examples and kind of like straying from whatever you have written down. So he kind of... Uh, had increments and knew where everybody landed and he would push them to the next increment. So I felt like he was, it was just the best preparation I had for university. He always pushed me too, too far. I thought at the time, like I was like, I can't do this. Not necessarily about the podium thing, but about certain, um, writing styles and whatnot. And he's like, he was just preparing us for university. Right. And I, at the time, I was so frustrated with him. When I got to university, I was like, I needed that. That was, it, he taught, I was above people, because I had to minor in English for my for my um, program, which I didn't know at the time. But the way that he pushed me throughout grade 12 English prepared me for that. So just. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, learning about awesome. people individually, I think, and tailoring their education to them is just such a huge such it's just it's so inspirational and just having somebody who had done that for me I feel like I can kind of relate to your story a little bit I also I don't even know if Mr. Jordan knows yeah. how much of an impact he made in my life but Me mention it to him I should if yeah ever, yeah if you ever because that's you know the the only accolade that ever matters is having a student that recognize it and and having still that friendship um that very very dear friendship you know mm -hmm. 
So, Frank, I'm not sure if Mary asked you this while I was gone, but um, you mentioned taking risks in your 20s. Is that the advice that you would offer to 20-year-olds today, or do you have any other advice that you would offer? I What I would love to say to 20-year-olds is seize the day. And I mean that. Today. Today is your chance to do it. If you wait till your 30s, you may have the responsibility of another life. You may have the responsibility and the fear and the trepidation that comes with it. If you wait till your 40s, you may have health risks. And, and I've had cancer twice later in life. Well, that's a whole other thing I want to unravel. Things, things, things creep up and, and, they, and they mess you up. Do it. Now is the chance. And the best part is if you succeed... In your 20s, surprise, because nobody expects you to. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Nobody expects you to do that. So when you do, you're the champ, man. You're the greatest. Mm -hmm. People expect you to fail in your 20s. So why not live up to their expectation? But you can only fail if you try. So my advice to 20-year-olds, man, is do it. Now is when you think that you, that you want to try that thing, do it. Now is the time, not later. They, there may not be a later. They're really, for, for whatever reason, you know, um, for whatever reason. But now, if, if you've got the courage and the stupidity to do it, do it, man. Do it, do it, do it. I, I, I say that to my son, you know, um, he he just got back from a, a concert in Florida, uh, a rap festival called uh, Loud, um, something Loud, something Loud. Anyway, it's, it was a huge three day rap festival in Florida, and um, oh, Rolling Loud—that's what it was called, Rolling Loud. And I said, "Go, go, go! Have a good time, man. Yes, yes, there's COVID." Yes, you have to take time off work. Yes, you might be quarantined two, for two weeks afterward when you come back. But now is when you can do it because you don't have uh, a mortgage. You don't have a family. Do it. Just go do it. He went. He had a great time. Perfect. Now, if at 52, <laughs> my age, he decides, I'm going to take this, this risk, there are other things you need to consider now. Yeah. But 20-year-olds, go have fun and do it man you've convinced me i'm quitting everything and i'm going to start my dream of we're being going a trapeze to artist. bali wait what what's <laughs> happening we're becoming yes. trapeze artists in bali, in bali. i just always <laughs> wanted to do it i i want to write your soundtrack okay amazing i love it All right. perfect business plan i've also really wanted to become like an elvis impersonator so maybe i'll just add that in there i'm just so jazzed right now i think this will be great why not yeah. man <laughs> well thanks so much frank for coming on the podcast today it was so interesting to get to know you you have such a cool story you have so much insight to give and you're just like you're such a fun person you have this energy that just you know it it, it encapsulates people thank you so if people wanted to reach out to you for any reason perhaps they just want to hear more about your story. They need you as a mentor. How can they get in contact with you? Uh, my Insta is 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 the best because that's one I check all the time. It's 12 String Music. Um, that is my 
one word, the, the number 12, string music. Uh, that's my musical world. And noble tin taekwondo is my martial arts okay. world. And uh, I have the pleasure of traveling the world with, with martial arts too. So that, that's been a lot of fun. But uh, And I know you guys got to go. And I would talk to you guys forever. But what I do want to say is that what you guys are doing is awesome. Um, I have been interviewed by a lot of people. And you guys made this so pleasant an experience, so comfortable. I psst, would love to be invited. Oh, and you will. Good. Because, no, I'm serious. You guys are awesome. And you guys are doing something that nobody else has the, the, the courage to do. Uh, will it fail? Who cares? Who cares? We've already learned so much. And not to mention, so you mentioned 12-string music. We didn't even touch on all of your musical endeavors. You are an incredible music maker as we mentioned at the beginning band manager you perform everywhere still as much as you teach it and uh back in high school i used to sit in on my lunches and watch you teach people guitar fantastic i always loved it and i love watching you perform to this day so for anyone listening we didn't get into it much but definitely follow the 12 string journey and if you are looking for good live music Anywhere you're playing, I would highly recommend going to. Thank you. Very also, much. we'll have you back on to talk about all that stuff. So make sure to like and subscribe and follow Talking 20 Podcast to find out when Frank is back on to talk about his musical journey and unravel some more stuff about his life. So follow us on our socials at Talking 20 Podcast to get involved in our goofy antics. And we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Bye for now. Thanks, Frank, for coming on. Thank you. Bye, guys. <laughs>